When I say the word toxic, you kind of all know what I mean. So poisonous, harmful, malicious, life-threatening, they're kind of all words that come to mind when you hear the word toxic. But you might be surprised by a few of these items that I'm about to show you, just common items that, that you may have at home. Uh, that are also toxic. So our first one is this, they bloom in the spring and they're daffodils. Toxic, don't eat them, bad idea. Uh, Next thing uh, is it's great for burns, but not good to just ingest, it's uh, aloe vera. Probably also very toxic, don't don't eat it. Um, These are also a common item, our next thing here, Uh, apples. Don't worry, an apple is not toxic, but apple seeds are. Uh, One or two is not gonna hurt you. Uh, but don't eat like a couple of cupfuls. That would probably not be a (laughs) very good idea. Um, Our next thing, uh, you all knew that these were toxic because they've been in the news, uh, the Humble Tide Pod, uh, right? But but you may not have known another laundry item, dryer sheets are toxic. So your dog eating your dryer sheets, probably need to cut that out. (laughs) Bad idea. Now, nothing uh, I love more than our next thing, just a big cup of raw lima beans. Just kidding, that's a bad idea. Raw lima beans, so cooked ones are are very good for you. Uh, You should eat your vegetables, but raw lima beans, not so much so. Uh, The next one is a given, black licorice. I mean, everyone knew that was toxic. Why would you ever eat that in the first place? Uh, The next thing are these succulent, beautiful fruits called a tomato that we absolutely love. Uh, I just got my garden planted, really excited about this. But did you know that the stems and leaves of tomatoes are toxic? Yeah. So don't eat those, leave those out of your salad. Um, And then of course, uh, toxic is Britney Spears, right? So you may not have been surprised uh, by, you may have been surprised by a few of these things that that were in this list, but I can guarantee you, you will not be surprised whenever I say that relationships and culture can be toxic. Guarantee you there wasn't a single soul in here that was surprised by that. And that's what we're going to talk about today. Good morning. My name is Hunter Upton. I am the associate pastor here at Getwell Church South Haven. Whether you've joined us here on campus, you're joining us online. If you're a longtime listener, I'm just kidding, or you're brand new, we're so glad that you chose to worship with us this morning uh, as we worship together. We're continuing in our series called Catalyst, as Jonathan said earlier. We're walking through the book of Acts and seeing how there are things that the early church dealt with and how they can apply to us today in the 21st century. Uh, It's been a joy so far and excited to keep walking through that. Wanna remind you that one of the ways that we know God, we know his truth and we know his grace is by reading his word. And so we wanna encourage you once again to pick up our reading guide that we developed. You can pick one up on your way out today uh, at our offering boxes or at the welcome desk. Or if you're joining us online, getwellchurch.org slash catalyst and you can find a digital copy Um, but I would love for you to to just dive in Uh, if you haven't done it just dive in we're reading through the whole book of Acts and many of the letters in the New Testament Um, it can be a rich time would encourage you to do that to know more about God and know more about uh, us as uh, as his people and so want to encourage you there and now as we're talking about scripture if you got your Bible let's turn to Acts chapter 6 and we're going to pick up and we're going to read verses 1 through 7. Acts chapter 6, verses 1 through 7. But as the believers rapidly multiplied, there were rumblings of discontent. The Greek-speaking believers complained about the Hebrew-speaking believers, saying that their widows were being discriminated against in the daily distribution of food. 
So the 12, that's the 12 disciples, the apostles, they called a meeting of all the believers. They said, we apostles should spend our time teaching the word of God, not running a food program. And so brothers, select seven men who are well-respected and are full of the spirit and wisdom. We will give them this responsibility. Then we apostles can spend our time in prayer and teaching the word. Everyone liked this idea and they chose the following. Stephen, a man full of faith and the Holy Spirit. Philip, Prochorus, Nicanor, Timon, Parmenius, and Nicholas of Antioch, an earlier convert to the Jewish faith. These seven were presented to the apostles who prayed for them as they laid their hands on them. So God's message continued to spread. The number of believers greatly increased in Jerusalem, and many of the Jewish priests were converted too. So what's going on? Well, picking up where our sermon left off last week, we look at the middle part of Acts chapter 5 and to the end of Acts chapter 5, and we see that the apostles had been persecuted by the high priest and all the elders of Israel, and they were thrown into jail. And why were they thrown into jail? Well, it was because they were healing so many people and they were telling about the good news of Jesus. And so they were thrown into jail, and guess what? You want to know why this happened? It's because the, the chief priest, the high priest, and the elders, they're just jealous. They're jealous of, of the apostles and what they have. And so after a very heated and fiery trial, they flog them and they release them. And at the, at the end of Acts chapter 5, look what it says in verse 41. It says, The apostles left the high council rejoicing that God had counted them worthy to suffer disgrace for the name of Jesus. And every day... In the temple and from house to house, they continued to teach and preach the message, this message, Jesus is the Messiah. And so the apostles, they're, they're busy doing what God had called them to do. They're filled with this boldness and, and they're telling others about Jesus, but they're doing so at the expense that things on the home base had become a little off kilter. You see, in the early days of the church, believers, they had worked to care for one another in great ways. At the end of Acts chapter 2, we see the early church coming together and sharing all, everything that they had. That meant meals, money, uh, you name it. So many things did they hold in common to take care of one another. And again, at the end of Acts chapter 4, we see that the believers are, are unified in heart and mind. They, they, they saw that everything they had was not theirs, but it was God's. And therefore, it was theirs to share, to take care of others. And so this, this food program had been set up for those that, that did not have food. Now, you know, those who are left on the outside of care, uh, sometimes this happens. And scripture speaks very clearly over and over about that we are to care for those people. And it's the widows and the orphans, the widows and the orphans. And so the Greek speaking believers, they wanted uh, to know why their widows were being neglected, uh, even discriminated against in, in the daily distribution of food by these Hebrew speaking believers. Now, it seems like anytime you get a group of people together, there's going to be something that begins to cause a little bit of division, Right. Uh, the difference here in these believers all has to do with their past. Yes, they're, they're all believers in Jesus. And at this point in Acts, they're, they're all Jewish converts. But, but their, their history is a little bit different. You see, the Hebrew-speaking believers thought that they were a little more purer, if you will, uh, uh, of a Jew, of a, of a person. 
uh, because their ancestry had never been muddled by intermarriage uh, with other folks. And so back when the exile happened, uh, Israel, the northern kingdom, uh, had been exiled by Assyria. Well, Assyria's tactic was that they would move you away and they would intermarry you with other people. Whereas the, the people of Judah, uh, these Hebrew-speaking believers, uh, when they were exiled by Babylon afterwards, uh, Babylon was just known for just relocating and that was all they did. And so when everyone came back, the Hebrew-speaking believers saw themselves as kind of untarnished. But yet they carried in their hearts this idea, this twisted notion that those Greek-speaking uh, believers who I, I like to say were just a little more cultured, right? They spoke Greek, um, but they, they were just less than. Uh, they didn't seem like they were as worthy to be taken care of in this daily distribution of food. And so now this word that we have for discriminated or neglected, uh, it really means just overlooked. It's like if I was looking around in here, I mean, I can look up and just kind of look over you. You're still there, right? You are. But that's what overlooked means. They're still there, but we, we're looking over them and we don't see them. So whether this was intentional or not, there really is a problem because the Greek-speaking believers' widows are being neglected. And that's not acceptable. Because here's the thing. If Jesus died to break down the dividing wall between all people, as Paul tells us, then it's not right for anyone, anyone, to be neglected, to be overlooked or thought of as less than. Now, we grumble about a whole lot of things, right? Um, I think it's one of our favorite pastimes. And honestly, it's kind of humorous what we tend to grumble about. Uh, for most of the things we grumble about, they're, they're nothing more than first world problems. Uh, at best, they're just inconvenient. Uh, they really have no bearing on life or death. But when you look at our social media posts and the, or the way that we stir the pot, you'd think that they probably were. Uh, and honestly, it's kind of ridiculous. Um, but, you know, if it isn't that kind of thing that we're upset about and grumbling about, uh, sometimes we're no different than the Israelites in the Old Testament. We, we want to know why life isn't going as we would have it. And so we start grumbling against God and, and trying to figure out why he's such a so-and-so sometimes. You know, honestly, it's so easy to grumble. So easy to grumble. It's one thing that we like to do. We like to focus in on, on these symptoms, these things that are wrong without ever moving forward. We love playing the victim, right? It's a great place to camp out, but it's not. Because I want you to see what, what the early church did here in Scripture. Look back at Acts, 1, uh, Acts 6, verse 1. The difference is that instead of just spreading their complaints... And just grumbling, grumbling, grumbling is that they took it to those who could actually do something about it. They didn't just dwell on the symptoms. They sought solutions. They didn't want to continue to cause division amongst the church. They wanted to find solutions. And so they did say with what I, I like to call the right rumblings. I think there are things that we are supposed to bring up and, and try to figure out. But the thing is, is that they saw a problem, a real problem, Right? a real problem, and they brought it up to be addressed. And so they brought it to the apostles. And it would have been really easy for the apostles just to be like, wow, that's not really ours to deal with. Like, you could just deal with that on your own. But, but instead, the apostles said, let's, let's find a solution. Let's find a solution. And so uh, they came up with this idea to delegate responsibility so that 
the environment would not continue to be toxic. Now, can you imagine what would have happened if the early church would not have dealt with this? If they would have just continued to neglect, like what kind of relationships that would have fostered? What kind of culture that would have morphed into if, if they would have just left that unattended? And while we can play out a lot of scenarios here, uh, it's not hard to see that really it would have a catastrophic effect, namely on the witness of the early church. I don't think that we would be sitting here today if, if this conflict could would have kept going. I don't think that the message of Jesus, of God's hope, healing, and wholeness, I don't think that it would have gone forth from the church, his instrument, his messengers, had that toxic culture, those toxic relationships continue uh, to fester. And so, thank God that they worked toward healing, right? So what about us? What about you and me? You know, are, are we bringing healing to toxic environments or are we just sitting here perpetuating the problem? Uh, I think it's easy for us to see toxic workplaces. Some of us work in those, right? Uh, we've been part of toxic discussions. We've, uh, we see toxic relationships outside the church. And while we would honestly love to bring an end to them, I, I think that that's, that's going to be really hard. We should work towards it, but I think it's hard because there's no world in which I can expect a non-Christian to act like a Christian. So this morning we're talking about the church. Because here's the thing, the difference between a non-Christian and a Christian all has to do with the Holy Spirit. It's the Holy Spirit inside of us that takes and changes us, that changes our wills and our wants, our, our desires, the way that we think, the way that we act, the way that we love. And so by doing so, we have the ability to bring healing in a toxic environment. We have the ability to be healthy people. And so for me, those who don't have the Holy Spirit, I can't expect them to act any different, at least not perfectly so. But here's the thing, I can't absolutely expect the church to act as if the church, because you are the church by the Holy Spirit. So I think there are two problems that arise from our text today. Two issues of the heart uh, that needed to be dealt with, and it was these. It was that of pride and a lack of empathy. Of pride and a lack of empathy. You know, it was this mentality of we take care of our people. We take care of our own. Coupled with very little care and compassion for the situation of those, those widows uh, that were being overlooked. Pride, it's nothing more than this inflated sense of, of self. Pride makes us think that we're better, that we're more important than, than someone else. Pride's also very self-preserving. We, we tend to seek self-preservation at all costs whenever we have this inflated ego about ourselves. And honestly, Scripture speaks a lot about the dangers of pride. If you open up the book of Proverbs, I'm pretty sure any page you land on, there's going to be something that talks about pride being dangerous. You know, I even think that this whole mess of sin that we're in, all because of Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden, you may be familiar with that story, I think that all has to do with pride. They thought that God was holding out on them, right? Like, God, why would you do that? I'm important. You're supposed to give me everything. But I think it all has to do with pride. Pride is a, is a really dangerous road for us to walk down. And I think that's the road that the Hebrew-speaking believers were, were starting to head down, that, that road of pride. And it's going to do nothing more. Pride will do nothing more than divide the body of Christ instead of building it up. 
So the problem was pride, but it's also a lack of empathy. Empathy is this ability to, to understand and share the feelings of another person. Now, the Hebrew believers, they, they couldn't put themselves in the shoes of these widows, of, of their situations that they were in. And they chose not to, I think. And honestly, that was going to be a matter of death uh, to these widows. And I think it's really easy for us to sit here, look at the text and go, yeah, oh, they definitely had some pride and lack of empathy. That was awful. They're terrible people. But what about us? What about us? Before we start wagging our finger, what, what about us? Where are these places in our lives that we have pride and a lack of empathy that are taking us down the road of a toxic environment? So I want to talk about a few of those ways uh, that it can manifest itself within the church. Three challenging areas for us. And so the first one is, uh, is this, is the area of toxic corporate worship. Toxic corporate worship. Now, corporate, corporate worship is a, is a blessing. It is wonderful to gather together, whether you're here on campus or you're joining us online. I mean, there's, it's just, it's such a beautiful time together where we sing and we sing God's truth. We sing of his promises. Uh, we hear his word spoken to us. You know, and it's beautiful. It's a place where, where we come together, not only as the body of Christ here in this place, but we're joining Christians all over the world every single week to worship our God. And more than that, we, we join in with heaven every Sunday, worshiping God, who is our creator, our redeemer, our sustaining God. Y'all, he is worthy of every bit of our praise and what a joy it is that we get to do that each and every Sunday. But we've got to be careful. We don't need our worship, our corporate worship to become toxic. See, we're people who were brought to new life by the Spirit, right? But oftentimes we worship as if it kind of never happened. We, we're no different than, than we were before. So how does, how does pride play into this toxic corporate worship? Here are a couple of questions. Are you present when you're here? Or are you just checking off another box for the day? Are you, are you present? Or are you just checking off a box to say that you went to church this morning? Do you really desire for God to meet you when you're here? Or, or do you plan to just leave the same way that you came in? Do you think that, that this message that I wrote for myself, do you think it only means for me? Or do you think it's also for you? And you say that you want your kids to worship way more freely than you do, but what? What's holding you back from worshiping all that you have? And when the text talks about being overlooked, we don't come to corporate worship just for ourselves. We're here for one another. And so are you truly seeking and looking at one another? Or are you just overlooking to get to your seat to, to worship, check the box, and move on? I think there are lots of areas and lots of ways that, that, that we can we can allow our corporate worship to become toxic. And these are all just things that I've dealt with and questioned and started to seek through in my own life. But I think that we've got to be honest. I think we've got to ask God's Spirit to search us, to know us, to point out in us those ways that we've allowed our corporate worship to be 
toxic, to, to point out how we're not living into all that God has called us to do and to be as we gather together. And I think, y'all, I would be, it, it will be astonishing whenever we do that kind of introspection and allow God's Spirit to point those things out, to think about the witness that it will have for our neighbors as they see us go to worship and come out of worship each and every week. So toxic corporate worship. The, the second area that I think we have to be careful of in the church to, to not allow to be toxic is this, relationships, relationships. You know, we don't do life on our own. We're created for community. We're created for one another. And there's this phrase that I really like that says, life change happens best in community. Life change happens best in community. But what happens when we let pride and this lack of empathy uh, take hold in our relationships? What happens? But we end up trying to use people. We we try to manipulate them and and make them do what we want and act how we want and and, and whatnot. And what ends up happening is relationships that were supposed to be life-giving become life-draining when it's all about one person in the relationship. So what would it look like instead of us being uh, full of ourselves in pride, Uh, To, as Paul says, be humble in thinking of others as better than yourselves. What if, what if we swallowed our pride and we did what Jesus told us to? And that was, we went and we reconciled with our brother and sister that we know that there's some strife amongst us. What if we reconciled so that when we come to worship, we both can actually worship for the freely and beautifully just as God had intended? What a novel idea. You know, conflict is normal. But perpetual conflict that has no resolution, that is toxic. That's, that's toxic. So what if we were to talk to one another rather than about one another? I know none of us are guilty of that, right? But what if we put ourselves in, in their shoes for two minutes and we walked alongside them as they walk through this situation, as they walk through life? doing as Jesus did, instead of brushing them off and ignoring them. If life change really is going to happen in our community, then we have to have an environment that fosters that. So toxic corporate worship, toxic relationships, and our third area to watch out for is toxic serving. Toxic serving. See, the church is called to be the hands and feet of Jesus to the world, It's one of the ways that, that, you know, the church is God's instrument of bringing his message of hope and healing to the world. And it it is awesome that we get to do that. But I think there are several questions we have to ask, several things that that we have to be careful of so that our serving doesn't become toxic by pride and lack of empathy. The first is this, just a question is, has our serving become more about us than about what God wants for them? You know, are we doing this just kind of like corporate worship? Are we doing it just to check off a box? Or are we truly wanting to pour out our lives into theirs? You know, are we happy to just write a check? Or are we willing to actually walk alongside to truly meet the needs of those in need? To be honest, the church doesn't just need warm bodies to to rock babies or fill a Sunday school room. We don't need you just to greet. We want you to give your whole life, to pour it out, just as Jesus did for the sake of others. 
We need vibrant and spirit-led folks to pour out themselves into others' lives. I mean, can you imagine what impact that really would have on our church and on our community if Christ was, was just made much of, if we served Christ out of humility and out of empathy? I think it would have great effect. So those three areas, I think they're just a start. Our church is super healthy. We've been, Keaton and I have been in lots of churches, <laughs> a lot. And this is by far one of the most healthy churches we've been in. And, and I've, we've absolutely loved every moment of it. But these are areas that I think that we just have to be careful of. And you may be sitting there thinking, man, I can think of a couple of more areas. And that's, that's probably true. But don't be overwhelmed by it. Don't be overwhelmed by it. Because God doesn't want us to just sit here and, and think about all the problems that we have. He wants us to work towards something. He wants to move us forward, and he does so by his Holy Spirit in our lives. So I'm going to give you three things, three ways that we are to work for in, our, in any environment, in our church, so that we don't have a toxic environment. And the first one is this, is we work for health. We work for health. One of the ways that we work for health in the church is by growing in maturity in Jesus. That's how, we start, that's how we start this journey to health. We grow in our maturity in Jesus. The Holy Spirit is at work in our lives, transforming us and conforming us, molding us more and more into the image of his son, Jesus. Right? He doesn't want us to, to just stay still. He wants to take and use us. One of the phrases that I love is this, is that God's grace doesn't, find, doesn't leave us how it found us. God's grace doesn't leave us how it found us. So every time that we come into contact with God's grace, it should change us. It all comes to, are we willing? Are we willing to be changed? But the truth is, is that none of us ever stop growing. There's always this process that's, that's taking place. There's always these parts of our, our minds and our hearts and our wills and our wants that need refining over and over again. And so if you're not sure where to grow from here, that was a, that was a pun. Thank you. I got a one laugh this service. That was good. Uh, so if you're not sure where to, to go from here, how, you, how you're going to grow I want to give you a couple of, of, of ideas. First is just reach out to us. Reach out to the staff. We can help point you in some directions of doing that. I uh, would love for you to take advantage of one of the classes that we offer here on campus. It's a great way to, to push yourself uh, to grow in Jesus. Join a life group. A community of believers gathered together to study the word and to share life with one another. You talk about life on life. That is a place where that can happen and that will spur you to maturity. If you're like, man, I don't know, what about this? Just grab a group of your friends and start reading through the Bible. See what the Lord wants to do in and through that. But God desires for us, for his church and our church, to be, to be healthy. And the only way that that's going to happen is if we work together towards that goal. And we do so, it has to start with us. And we want to do so by, by growing in maturity in Jesus for health. All right, so one way we work is for health. The second way we work uh, towards not having a toxic environment is working for healing. So the world is hurting. 
And I guarantee if we just started asking around in here, there's those of you who are hurting. We live in a world full of hurt. But friends, the, the church is a hospital. It's not just a place where we come and we get this salve for kind of our, our wounds, but it's a place where we find deepest healing for our souls. That's the beauty of the church. And so let's work to make Get Well a place that continually offers the hope of Jesus Christ to all who come in here. To not just to, to those on the outside, but even to each other. Let's be people who are full of grace and truth, just as our Lord Jesus was. Let's be a church who's truly open to the healing power of the Holy Spirit, not just for our own lives, but for anyone who walks through these doors. To, to just see what our redeeming God can do. You've seen it in your own life. Can he do it in someone else's? Man, to be a church that, that knows healing, that offers healing, that's open to healing, what a difference that would make in our world. If you're here this morning and, and you're hurting, if you, if you see that you need healing, we want to pray for you. And I would love during our response song, come, come on up to the altar. Jonathan and I would love, just motion us over, we'd love to pray for you. Grab your neighbor. They should be able to pray for you too. If you're at home, reach out to the person next to you, wherever you're at. If you need healing, it starts today. Don't put it off. Don't delay. But let's find that healing that God is offering us. He's willing and he's wanting to offer and bring you healing. True and lasting, eternal healing. So, let's be a place that offers healing, not a place that offers division and that kind of environment. So, we've got health, healing, and the third thing that I think we have to work toward is wholeness. We have to pursue wholeness. You see, Jesus, in the Garden of Gethsemane, before he's heading to the cross, willingly dying for our sin, taking the place that we deserve, he prayed a very specific prayer that we would be one. That just means that we would be whole and complete and, and without division. And what the world needs right now more than anything else is, is to see a church unified in Jesus. That's the only thing that's going to bring us together. It's the only thing that unifies anyone is Jesus. Causing division doesn't help anyone. Even if you think that this cause that you're trying to champion is a good one, it's probably not. You know, stirring the pot and gossiping, even as much as sometimes we like that, it, it is not helpful and it has to stop. We cannot let that kind of culture be what our church is about. We've got to be different. We've got to be the church that Jesus prayed for. How are we working for wholeness? And I think the way that we do that is, is we step out of ourselves and we think about others as above ourselves. We, we see people as people who, who truly have feelings and, and a heart and a mind, just like you and I. And when the occasion arises, I think that we have to give the benefit of the doubt to have a conversation, to walk alongside. We need to bring folks together that are divided, not, not continue to to tear apart and to bring more strain. 
But I think that even that, that uncomfortable work is very necessary for us in the church. And so that's a challenge that I have for each of us. So you may remember at the very end of the text, verse 7, Acts chapter 6, verse 7 says this, So God's message continued to spread. The number of believers greatly increased in Jerusalem, and many of the Jewish priests were converted too. You see, it would have been easy for the church to just continue to fester and have that division continue to grow, but they didn't. They didn't continue to just dwell on the symptoms and on the problems that they had, but they sought solutions by the power of the Holy Spirit. And what happened? God's message continued to spread. Get well, if we're going to be a church, that God's message is going to continue to go from this place, not just to our community, but to DeSoto County and beyond. We've got to be a church that seeks by the power of the Holy Spirit, life change, healing, health, wholeness in our church, in our relationships, in our lives, so that it will change the world, so that his message will continue to spread. And I love this because it's easy to to jump over it, but even the most religious people in town began to take notice. Let this be so of us, get well. Let's pray. God, we thank you so much for this morning. We thank you for the truth of your word. And Lord, even though the truth of your word is sometimes hard to hear, Lord, we pray that that we would be willing, that we would be open, that we would have our, our arms, our hands open to receive that, Lord. And Lord, that, that even in the midst of sometimes the, the difficultness that we don't want to hear, Lord, would you help us hear it? Would you help us receive it? Would you help it change us? Lord, that we may love more deeply, not just you, but also each other. Father, would you use your spirit to, to search us and know us and point out those ways in us that are offensive to you, Lord? Those ways specifically that are, that are fostering a, a toxic environment in our lives. And Lord, would you help us to, to not be a, a people that dwell and, and, and grumble, Lord, on, on everything that's wrong. But Lord, that we would seek your face to find solutions and a way forward. Lord, in your grace, we know that you want to offer us health healing and wholeness. And so God, we ask that you would guide us and direct us and point us in that direction, that we would be a people who do bring that and who experience the fullness of life that your son brings us. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm going to ask you to stand and we're about to sing a song of response. However you need to respond. Whatever God is laying on your heart today, I ask that you would take this next song, that you would let the truth of these words wash over you. That you would worship, that you would connect with your Father. Know that these altar rails are open. If there's any way that we could pray for you, come down front. 
you can pray. You can motion us over. We'd love to pray with you. You can pray at your seat. You can pray in your kitchen, on your couch, wherever you are. Let's meet the Lord now because he wants to meet you. Let's worship.